Right, so it's recording now, so anything people say uh, will be part of the podcast. So um, Getting Better Acquainted is a, a conversation podcast that I do. Um, it uh, comes out weekly. It's conversations with people I know from my closest friends and family to someone I once met at a party. Uh, it's, it's just the people that I come into contact with. Um, partly it's an exercise in learning to listen to people better because I'm quite good at talking but not necessarily always at listening. Um, it's a, it's a, also it's an autobiography through conversation. Uh, I've, parts of my life come out in, with, with every person and I, I'm a kind of different person with every person which is interesting at least to me, uh, hopefully to my audiences too. Um, and it's also kind of an oral history project, a kind of snapshot of people at a certain time in history and I hope that it will be interesting in the future. Um, and yes, you can find out um, more about it and you can listen to it at www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk or on iTunes or any of those places. Um, and this is the theme tune. I want to get better Please make me better I want to get better Today we're getting better acquainted with Megan Cohen. Uh, hello Megan. Hi Dave. Hey. Um, right, so the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? Which right. is a, a strange one I think for us. Yeah, well so I'm here at the Edinburgh Fringe doing my show and outside my venue every day for an hour before the show I try to flyer people and I was flattering and flattering and there was this fellow standing quite near me and I thought oh he's exactly the kind of person who I hope will come to my show <laughs> and I came up and gave you a flyer he said oh no I'm here for that already yeah. so that's how I know you but I didn't realize until after we met that actually we had sort of already secretly collaborated ah. across the sea never okay. having met which is that a piece that I co-wrote in San Francisco was being workshopped in London called The Helen Project. Oh, right. And one of our actors came and did a spot on your show, Stand Up That's Tragedy. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, actually, I noticed that on Twitter before I kind of contacted you about yeah. this, that you were kind of talking to Amy, who's the director from that. And I was yeah. like, oh, it's a very small world. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, and, and that was a, the funny thing about coming to your show is it's, it's sort of, it's at 8.45 and my show finishes at like half past eight. Um, and so it, I've never uh, had to come on my day off really because I could never race over. Although I say that, the rest of my team did race over and join me. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just weak. Um, but I, but I, I sort of, it was one of those shows that you, you go to based on not knowing anything about it. Like uh, I saw one woman's show about the Odyssey I'm obsessed with, you know, the Greek mythology and the Odyssey and stuff, so I had to go to that show, right? Um, and, you know, you can take a punt on the Free Fringe, and I didn't know it was going to be, like, one of my favourite shows I was going to see uh, of the of the festival. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was it's delightful to be able to then talk to you, um, but then I don't really know anything about you, so I really <laughs> yeah. am going in blind, and it being the Fringe, I haven't even been able to Google you. Uh, so it's, I'm really going in blind today, so th this is going to be interesting. Um, yeah. Um, so the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Right. Well, right now I sit across a table <laughs> from a very pleasant, smiling man who I know almost nothing about and right. look forward to the adventure of a conversation. Mm. In general, in my life right now, mostly what I do is write. I write plays all the time, almost. That is how I spend most of my waking hours at this point. 
I'm the most produced female playwright in San Francisco back home. I've had 60 shows and readings since 2012. So you can tell by that number that I'm constantly cranking out work. So pretty much all I do is write and find people to do shows with and do the shows and then find more people to do more shows with and write those shows and do those shows. Wow, now that sounds a very, (laughs) like, that is a very enviable life to me. I would like to be in that life. I sort of studied uh, theatre and I, I do write plays myself, but I kind of... Uh, they're, they're not getting produced, so I'm doing other things, right? right? Um, but you, it sounds like you're making your your life uh, your, your your life your work. We were sort of talking about this outside before we started. You know, that's that's exciting to me. Um, but I guess you didn't start in this situation where you're being produced all the time, right? right? No, it's um. Well, the nice thing about San Francisco is it's a fantastic city for new work. Like, sometimes we don't always do the classics, we don't always know our theater history, but the audiences there want new plays all the time. So after New York and Chicago, I think we do more new plays per capita than any other city in the U.S. So it's a great place to be a writer. Everybody's so hungry for it. Right. Yeah. Um, So I've been doing that. I've been out there for about five years, and before that I was mostly working in theater, doing dramaturgy, doing literary management. Um, I was an actor from about age seven to 17 and then as a teenager I discovered that as a woman if you want to be an actor you'd better be happy spending your whole life playing someone's girlfriend and never having the stories be about you so I decided to become a playwright and write more stories where that wouldn't be the case and then it's only in about the last year or two that I've transitioned back into performing, performing my own work. I joined a group called the Neo Futurists and we're here doing a show show. yeah and that got me back on stage Wow, and so like, um, what, so what, what, how you you went to San Francisco, right? You're not from there originally. Sort of. I'm from San Francisco, most beautiful city in America, and from a tiny town on Long Island where they grow potatoes. And my whole family went back and forth between the two coasts every six months as a kid. We were almost like migrating birds. The whole family right. would pop back and forth. Um, so yeah, it was. I went to school out in California at Stanford, and then I moved to New York City for a couple of years and then got a job offer in SF at a big theater there and said, oh, well, I'll go there and do that fellowship and then just stayed. <laughs> yeah, the world. that sounds like it makes a lot of sense why the, the Odyssey story is resonating yeah, with you. The bar shut yeah. yeah, the bar's, bar's shut down here, yeah, yeah upstairs. There you go, an Edinburgh moment. In, there you go, an Edinburgh moment. We miss you already. <laughs> Yeah, so like the Odyssey is about uh, going on a journey. It sounds like you were going on a journey quite a lot during the time when you were growing up, I guess, between those two different yeah. locations. I mean, that's there's a moment in in, in uh, Take Me Home where you sort of get the audience to sort of like raise their hands uh, about, you know, how, how, like if you really, it's all about how you feel about the idea of home, right? Yeah. And it's sort of like, do you... Are you going home straight away after the gig? Are you going home by the next day? Do you have a plank? And it kind of gets to a point where do you have a... Do you believe in the idea of home? And I think that was when I put my hand down. I don't don't know if I believe in the idea of home. Um, Because I travelled about a lot in my life and I've never really had a location that I feel at home in. I kind of feel like if there's a home, right, it's inside me if if there's any kind of home. Um, but I don't think everyone feels that way. How do you feel about the idea of home? I mean, I have no idea, which is why I'm doing the show to sort it out. And that's one of the reasons why I love that section of the show, because 
every night I am really curious about what people will do. There's one question that I ask in that section, which is, if you know where your home is and you never want to go there ever again. Right. And when people, people go for that one, I'm always really surprised. But there are people who that's their relationship to home. They don't want to be there. And that's amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it, that's, that's definitely a, a, an answer that fits very much with my show, Stand Up Tragedy, right? Like yeah. no, never wanting to go home, but having a sense that there is a place you belong, but not wanting to go there. That's a very, yeah. it's a very strange and interesting point of view. I mean, I guess the thing is you can't, you can't interview all of your audience members to find right. out what they're raising their hands about, right? Yeah, I would if I could. I get to talk to some of them after the show sometimes, or a lot of times people will tweet at me or Facebook me after the show because it feels like it's such a personal connection it with is. solo work. And it so is. it's been really cool getting to have coffee with some of the people I've met here in Edinburgh and That's actually great. get their half of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, so you, 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 you've gone to San Francisco, though, in the last five years and sort yeah. of, like, been seriously being produced. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I guess you must have had a, you, like, when you were doing the dramaturgy and stuff like that before, there was probably yeah. some struggling years within that, right? Oh, yeah, well, and you're I probably mean, still struggling, right? You never stop struggling as an artist, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, I basically, at this point in my life, I've decided uh, time is more valuable than money, and I'll be broke forever as long as I have the time to write what I want to write and yeah. try to make art with the people I want to make art with. So I'm struggling all the time. Right. But I have the things that are most important to me at this moment in my life. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So hopefully. Hopefully I can hang on to that for at least a while yeah, <laughs> and stay sure. on that Bronco. And like, what, why the why theatre? Why did why why are you writing theatre? Because that's a right. significant decision. There's so many things you could write, and that you don't have to write. There's loads of other things to do, right? Right. Well, I think. There's something really interesting to me, especially San Francisco being the heart of Google and Facebook and all of these new technologies that give us virtual presence and virtual closeness. I think there's a starvation in the culture for being face-to-face -face with people and sharing a moment, sharing a temporal experience. And theater is just, for me, the most effective bare-bones way to do that, right. is I'm going to show you that I care about you as an audience member or a partner in this experience enough to do a lot of work beforehand to show you something that I think is really worth sharing and worth your time and um, theater is like maximum effort but minimum hassle it's really just you and the people that you're looking at and speaking with and right. I think that combination is really really important right now yeah and the kind of theater that you're doing at the moment with uh, take me home is, is really yeah. stripped down right it's just yep. you and uh, some, uh, some music occasionally yeah it's I just mean, me and a laptop <laughs> right. yeah and it's really direct and you get to talk directly to the I mean that's it's, it's really breaking that fourth wall right Absolutely. what you're doing with this show uh, and I think I agree with you I've noticed this I run a mixed bill uh, night so I get people from comedy and from music and from theatre and from all of these different places and I put them all together and the one thing that connects them all apart from the fact that they're doing it about tragedy is that they are directly engaging with the audience in some way they're standing up and 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 directly engaging with that audience in whatever way and I definitely am fine feeling like audiences want want that like we are so in and also I think our big I was talking about this on on this podcast with one of the members mm -hmm. of the audience I mean, <laughs> um, uh, is was um, that the, I, I sort of see that happening more and more that people are sort of turning to that because we've got you know such brilliant uh, television now right and that that's so undirect right that's so epic and so made like but but we're also starving for that in a room you don't know what's going to happen, nobody else is seeing the show apart from you, and you're having a genuine interaction with someone without all that media inside. It's like it's interesting that the media is going two different directions at the same time, I think, at the moment. 
sort yeah. of doing weird gestures. <laughs> the audience can't, <laughs> right. at home can't Podcast see. Podcast yeah. is missing out on incredible right. gesticulations. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love television right now. I think it's an amazing storytelling medium, and right. I'm obsessed with it. But I think people come to the theater to feel like they exist, right. and they're present. Like, being with the neo-futurists, we do a lot of audience interaction, and our whole aesthetic is you never pretend to be a character. You never pretend to be anywhere other than in that room with those people. And you get people coming to the show three or four times over the run in Edinburgh. They come every week because they like to look back at you and have that moment of connection. Mm. And I think it's an important part of the human experience that we don't get enough of. Right, and Tammy Holmes is a very, uh, is a very much you. It's yes. a quite a personal show as well, right? Yeah, definitely. It's all about you know what, what I want to do with time and what I'm interested in and the things that I care about the most and getting to share those really directly. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's what's kind of charming about it. That's why I liked it so much. Um, yeah. Well, one of the many reasons, I think. But the, the so like, so you want, that's why you want to do theatre. Um, but when did it kind of, when did the bug start? Like, how, like what's your earliest memory of the theatre? Yeah, well, around five years old, I was at a bookstore and I saw a book on a high shelf and I just pointed to it and was like, Mom, get that down for me. And it ended up being the libretto of Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim. Right, cool. And um, I became like instantly obsessed with it, memorized the whole thing. So for my sixth birthday, my parents took me to that show and that was the first thing I'd ever seen. And I just knew, oh, I want to spend my life inside this language, this excitement, this liveness and a year later started performing and have pretty much been in that world ever since from six from six wow yeah. okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know why no you know my family are not performers it just something about it just seemed like what my brain wanted out of the world wow it's nice yeah. when you find those moments where you just fit like a jigsaw piece yeah. into something uh, they're they're rare, but they they are very uh, enjoyable. So right. uh, I mean the so the and the Odyssey is what you're looking at at the moment. Yeah. So I mean you're in, you're looking at kind of classical like quite quite far back in the past texts, right? Totally. But your style is really modern and and current and and like um, pop cultural, right? Absolutely, it's like lots of slang and yeah. you know very very contemporary. But basically, I like to steal the very best things from culture and then rub my scent all over them so people think they're mine. <laughs> so that's what my show is all about and all for. <laughs> yeah, and what like what? Why did why the Odyssey? Why, I mean, why why is that yeah. relevant now to you and to the world? Or, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I read it the first time I read it. I thought it was really boring. And then I read it again a couple years later in a better translation, thought it was really cool. And then read it again a couple years later in an even better translation, decided it was amazing, and wanted to share that experience with people who might have read that first translation and thought it was boring. I think the Odyssey is a really personal, really psychological story. It's the story, we all feel alone sometimes, we all feel isolated, far from home, far from the people we love or the place we want to be. And there's something about Odysseus's struggle to get there in the face of everything bad that could happen to you, everything that could stop you from getting what you want. He just keeps trying. And there's something about that persistence that really appeals to me. That's why the show I'm doing here is about an hour long. It's like a highlight reel of all my favorite bits. Right. But the full project, Take Me Home, it's a durational piece. It's a 12-hour show. 12 hours, right. Yeah, and there was something about wanting to do 
something big and wanting to do something difficult. And I've been working on this project for longer than I've ever worked on anything. I've been working on it for about three years off wow. and on, and I'm still not done. So I wanted to do a story that would inspire me to keep telling it because of what the hero in it does, which is just keep trying. Right, so you're kind yeah. of the, the making this show about the Odyssey as an Odyssey itself. You're keeping on trying and you're yes. going on this journey. Exactly, and it's brought me, so far it's brought me overseas, you know, which was not expected when I first started. Right. And, and that's I'm very appropriate too. Yeah, it's really <laughs> on point, and I'm hoping to get to tour it to all kinds of different places and incorporate that into the narrative. Wow, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, and for me, I mean, I, my dad read me The Odyssey when I was like uh, probably about nine years old, I think, like uh, the, nice. like a children's version of the Iliad and The Odyssey. Um, and I had like a, a, a dark, like, I had like two homes at that point in my life, right? Mm-hmm. I had like my, my home with my, my mum and my stepdad, which was a dark place. It was like all of the, the bad stuff. Yeah. And then there was like the light that was my dad's flat that I would go to at weekends. And it was weird, like the light was in the middle, like it was a, a council estate. I don't know if, like, uh, you, oh, know, yeah, if sure. you know what that means. Yeah. Uh, a project, uh, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it was kind of uh, a bleak uh, l- landscape around this kind of uh, concrete tower. Um, but at the top of this concrete tower, you kind of go in and it would be like, like the wall you you could draw on the walls everybody's walls uh, uh, everybody's doors I think by that stage and uh, like it was like he's I don't know you don't have professor brainstorming that's quite an English reference (laughs) point some English people wouldn't even get that either Um, but but it's like a little bit like a what's that guy that makes those machines that all kind of oh like a Rube Goldberg right 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 like that my dad's flat felt like that he makes things like out of little weird little bits and bobs and sort of makes it practically work but it looks kind of all borrowed and mixed together so it's this kind of um oasis in this kind of like estate uh you know there were rock violas uh barking outside the window every day and smashed windows and it was like really bleak but there was just this this light and inside and he would have me there at weekends and he would read me um stories in bed we'd get breakfast in bed um, it sounds like I'm so spoiled but you've got to remember <laughs> the dark side right? right um but but he would you know it would be breakfast in bed and then he would read me the Iliad and the Odyssey and then later the Lord of the Rings he read like all of that uh, long epic fiction to me over these kind of weekends and wow. I mean uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's shaped my entire idea of like you know right. what I like. You know, epic stuff is what I like. Like this this podcast in itself, it's 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 massive. There's so many conversations; they all fit together. They make up something bigger. You know, that's exciting to me. A little bit like the Iliad, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm realizing now, this minute, this isn't like a normal thing that, <laughs> that, that I know about. Right. Yeah, um, you've yeah. witnessed revelation. Right, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, and that's how it kind of got into me. But I mean, so you've done it, and so that's why I came to that's and that's why full right. circle why I came to your show. Yeah. But I mean, um, like it seems to, like so you was you didn't find it interesting the first time. Yeah, not like, at all. I think that um, well, part of it is I'm really lucky in San Francisco. There's a festival called the Olympians Festival, and every year it's a whole new works new play festival all about Greek myth. Mm. and ancient stories and everybody takes a different slant on it and I've written for it for I guess I'm about to write for it for my fourth year in a row and we all explore those mythologies together 
And it's fascinating to see how these stories matter to so many different people in so many different ways. Right. Yeah. Because they, they, we, we all have an idea of, like you say it in your show, you might right. not know the Odyssey, but you do know the Odyssey because you've seen it in a different version somewhere. You know, yeah. it, 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 there's like every quest story basically is the Odyssey. Totally. And I actually came to it, if anything, I probably love the Odyssey because first I loved Ulysses by Joyce, which is a really important book to my father. And he would talk about it as like one of his favorite books he'd ever read. And, and it was in my parents' wedding vows even though my mom has never read it. (laughs) And so I read Ulysses and fell in love with it and then started looking into all of the references and allusions in that book. And it took me back to the original source material. And I went, oh, a lot of what I love about Ulysses is actually in the original. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's like, it sounds to me like, because in those children's adaptations, I guess they were probably well written, but they were very basic, what I was getting, right? Um, So what I was interested in was the plots and the the characters, right? Right. But if you read a version that didn't have very good writing, maybe that's the thing that puts you (laughs) off, right, I I guess, Uh, and and makes it hard to enjoy the plot and the characters, I guess. Totally, because I'm I'm somebody who's probably addicted to poetry, like I need it, so if it's missing from a translation, I drop it and run away right because you're in yeah. the spoken word section here exactly. rather than the theater section and yeah. for that show anyway and yeah yeah so i mean obviously poetry is something as you're saying is something that you do and you yeah. love i mean do, have you written do you you know did you write poetry as young as six or is that like oh yeah late? absolutely okay right always there there's like a tower of notebooks about as tall as me i'm only four foot eleven so that's not that impressive that's but i've got just like a whole stack of scribblings you can see my handwriting if anything get worse over time but constantly writing verses and all kinds of stuff from the time i was really little wow yeah i mean and like the thing that really, one of the things that really interests me about Take Me Home is that you've got this kind of argument, this kind of semi-scholarly but presented very fun um, <laughs> argument um, that, that Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, may have been a woman. Yeah. Um, and that's that was very interesting to me. Do you, where, where does that come from? Do you, like, what's the source yeah. material there? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I've got in the longer version just tons and tons more. This has been an ongoing conversation for centuries, and it's not something that had ever crossed my path until I really started like digging into this project. And it, it's there are just a, so many people have so many different reasons for thinking Homer might have been a woman. And I come from a lot of there's always discussion about the canon and the male canon and trying to balance it trying to find gender parity, especially in theater. Like, as a playwright, by any metric, less than 20% of what's on contemporary stages is by women, even though we're half the population. By some metrics, it's 10%. By some, it's 17 A little but, bit over half the population, actually. Right, majority. exactly. And way <laughs> over half the theater-going audience is female, too. It's something like 60 to 70% of audiences are female. So... I've always been paying attention to, you know, who are female authors who we can be celebrating or talking about keeping in the public eye because the more you're used to seeing women who are writers, the more you think it's normal and not yeah. an anomaly. So the, when I found out all of these different ideas about Homer having been a woman, I really, really wanted to include that because it makes it, uh, in some ways it legitimizes my own telling of the story and it connects me to a whole lineage of female storytellers, maybe even going back to this you know, initial sort of groundbreaking tale. One of the things that I came across was um, Samuel Butler, who wrote The Authoress of the Odyssey, uh, which is one of my primary sources. He's a Victorian, like, novelist and critic, and he talks about 
the idea that the length of the Odyssey is actually maybe indicative of it having been written by a woman. Like male storytellers in ancient Greece would just come up with something they could memorize and perform in a bardic style, but the fact that the Odyssey is so much longer than everything else around means that it was likely written down rather than just memorized and spoken, and that it was much more likely that a woman who had the luxury and leisure of time would have written it out. And so the idea that written stories are maybe actually, in some ways, matrilineal, that's fascinating to me. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm somebody who um, I want to see, maybe it's not obvious because I'm a man but I, <laughs> I want to, to read more work by women like I always enjoy uh, work by women and I think often uh, not always obviously uh, there are plenty there's plenty of terrible uh, women <laughs> right uh, you know, that's what equality really means right we're, yes. we're all as terrible as each other but yes. um but what I find is it, now is we, we get so much male material for, like throughout history yeah. that it it does give women a little bit of an edge because it's a, it's a, a different voice, a different story, a different set of experiences they're drawing on than the rest of the stuff that we're getting. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of the time, the, the, the comedians that I book that excite me the most are women. And, you know, the, 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 the novelists that, that excite me the most are, are women. Um, and I think it's just because, I mean, men can't imp- impress me so much if they're just doing the same <laughs> thing all the time. It's, I'm not saying they're, right. they're not as good. And, and I don't think we're that different either. I think it's like, yeah. I love the Odyssey and I think I think in that way. So like, I don't right. think that's a way of the women would think or men would think. But it's nice yeah. to have that represented, right? Because as yeah. a non, I'm not that traditionally masculine in my way of looking at the world. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm crying out for, for stuff that isn't traditionally mm-hmm. masculine, you know, just as much, I mean, not just as much, uh, and, you yeah. know, but a lot compared like, to, you know, as much as women are. Right. Right. I didn't make that sentence work because I haven't <laughs> had very much sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I think we're at a moment when everybody's looking for more voices, more options, more right. alternatives, more different models for how to be in the world. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's because even with if Homer was a woman uh, yeah. and was a woman with the luxury of time, yeah. then uh, Homer was a rich uh, right. woman. Right. And that's different from being a, a poor person of any gender. Totally. And so it's still uh, the history being, in the history or the fiction being written by the women. Yeah. Absolutely. And like the myths that we tell ourselves and each other have so much impact on what we think we should be aspiring to and how we want to live and how we shouldn't live. And I think it's really important to make those conversations broader, Mm. full of more different perspectives. And it's definitely, I'm very conscious of uh, sometimes being welcomed into situations as a woman where it's like, oh, we haven't heard from one of you in a while. (laughs) And it's such a mixed bag because you go, thanks, I think. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I find this as someone who programs nights. Yeah. Um, like, I'm trying to get an equal gender balance, if not biased towards women, because, uh, as I've said, I'm biased towards women. Um, right. But but also a, a, a good uh, ethnic mix, uh, you know, get people right. uh, uh, who ha- have different sexualities, uh, you mm-hmm. know, all of those things. I'm trying to get all of that balance. Um, and it does feel like um, I could offend. I can offend people either way. There, you know, totally. I can easily make people feel like they're they're tokenistic. Like I'm not booking them based on them being good, but the, but on the color of their skin or you know whatever. Right. Um, and so it is a difficult balance to to walk. But I feel like people programming things need to walk that line. Doesn't really matter if my, I, I I feel bad occasionally because <laughs> I get it wrong. Cold, like you know, doesn't matter. Um, but and I, I wish and I think it's it's starting to happen, right? I think it's starting yeah. to happen. Women are getting into more things, and Definitely. I think the idea that, for example, in comedy, that that women aren't funny is very like not 
the mainstream don't agree with that now. Right, it's, I would say. Yeah, Whereas it's, five years yeah. ago, I think the mainstream did agree with that. It's not that long that it's been where we've gone, oh yeah, actually, women are funny. Uh, you know, why would we think they're not funny? They are, as you say, half the population. <laughs> yeah. We make jokes with them all the time. But uh, yeah, and I think that is starting to change, um, maybe. But you know, I'm always a bit hesitant about that because right. things do seem to go like forwards and backwards, right? Yeah, there's such a pendulum swing. I mean, it does seem like extreme visible misogyny is becoming much more of a niche view than it used to be um but it's definitely like i've been hyper aware of it at this festival because even the simple act of flyering on the street i've been really really conscious of my gender and how i'm treated by passers-by like in a way that some of my male colleagues who are here who are even in the same ensemble as me don't have that experience yeah well i've been hearing from a lot of people who fit women who've been flyering saying that they've been kind of getting negs in the way that they're flyering like men keep coming up to them and going you're terrible at flyering would you like to go for a coffee (laughs) right Like, just, wow. like negging them like uh, I don't know if people know the ne- the concept of negging it's a uh, uh, like a uh, it's like a pickup yeah, artist it's a pick thing ass, where you, p- do, pick you make artists. someone feel bad so that they want to win your approval right and yeah. it kind of it, it's problematic because it works I think it would right. work on any gender totally. make you feel insecure and then uh, make you feel a bit better that's uh, yeah. it's going to probably work um, <laughs> right? but it's kind of evil work because you know so what it works it's not a genuine interaction Right. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I've heard from lots of uh, different women who've had that experience, and it, yeah. I didn't, you know. And as as it is for men, you only find out how it is for women when women tell you, right? Because you right. guys are going through this whole life of like everywhere you go, uh, being harassed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's used, you know, you're used to it. You don't want to make a big deal out of it because it's like your life. You can't be moaning about it all the time. Right. So we only ever know when we when if we pay attention and like listen. Right. I'm not saying I'm good at that. <laughs> I, I have to do a show to right. start being better. At listening. <laughs> it's not my skill set originally well yeah I've I've been doing this a few years now you know three years ago it probably would have been worse but (laughs) but, um, well part of why I do my show is because I'm much better at listening than at talking so like maybe we're meeting in the middle yeah that's good yeah yeah that's good but yeah I mean it it, and I've also heard from like yeah it it, that that there is this kind of a, a friend of mine is was told off by uh, somebody for calling their show a feminist show yeah like people don't like that word um and you know I I'm I, I like it I'm fine with it not every kind of feminism that's right there's, there's a lot of them around and people just yeah. think oh feminism that's one thing and I've got it in a box and it's you know not even and I've never met that feminist I've met really problematic feminists, but they're not the feminists that everyone's fearing. Right, the archetypal feminists <laughs> like, that you see right, in right, this right. Like, terrifying poster. Well, you yeah. know, we had a lot of debate coming here, me and the, like, the producer who I'm here with, uh, talking about whether to put feminist in my press release right. and in my little blurb for my show. Right. Is this going to make people come or not come? Because yeah. so much of it... But I realized... You know, it's about finding the audience that you want in that room. Right. And the audience that I want in that room is going to go, oh, yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, that was a big draw yeah. for me. That yeah. Worked, right? But it wouldn't be a big draw. I've got the same problem, actually. I'm, uh, you know, as you do at the Fringe, I'm thinking about next year's Fringe right. now. Right, oh, of course. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll do a one-man show for the first time. Or, yeah. You know, and uh, that's probably going to be about feminism, right? Which is a weird decision for a man to make. Because cool. I'm going to really get shot by both sides, I feel. <laughs> um, you know. Like there's a lot of women don't think men can be feminists. There's a lot right. of men think that feminists shouldn't exist. Hey, come see my show. <laughs> it's about <laughs> feminism, and I'm a man. Awesome. Um, but yeah, and it, I, I've been thinking, how can I, you know, how um, how can I how can I stealthily get them in, right? right? Because you're talking about like getting the audience you want. Well, I want to do a show telling men 
using myself as an example, I am not, uh, I am not um, a, a good, you know, as a bad example. These are, things, <laughs> these are things I did wrong in my past. I want to change them. But yeah. to saying to men, look, the way that uh, we don't know the effect of what we're doing, but this is kind of the effect, and we need to be thinking about this and and, and taking ourselves on. I want to speak to men. I don't really want an audience full of feminist women who right. already agree, and they're either going to be impressed with me or annoyed with me. <laughs> but either way, I don't need I don't need that. But 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 at the same time, I'm a bit scared of an audience full of um, men who aren't even anywhere near the feminist uh, spectrum because they're the people right. who you know bullied me at school, right? Yeah. And that's the, that's why I want to talk about feminism because I felt. I, I know what it's like to be a man uh, treated like I should be a certain kind of man by other men. Yeah. And that's a kind of, that's why men need feminism. Uh, we are not treated well by patriarchy, right? Right. But, 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 so I want to talk to people and say, look, we've had these shared experience. We've all been like, we've all had these peer pressure, this, all of this stuff. And then let's look at how we also behave to women and are we part of the problem? And I want to do all that yes. in an hour. With, uh, <laughs> you know, right. What am I doing? Why am I thinking this stuff? Um, but yeah, anyway, awesome. I'm sort of, there we go. I've stopped listening. Yeah. I'm now talking too much. But right, yeah, but I, just, I did. I was in an all women's like event for all female artists, all female performing artists. And I wrote a play about how there should be men in that festival because by women doing all the work of articulating feminism, we're saying that it's okay for even, you know, men who are allies to just sit there and watch while we do all of the heavy lifting right. and the mopping up about it and solve all the problems. Although it I is think it's a, so important for everybody to work at no, it. No, I agree with that, yeah. but I think it's also a more complicated thing than that because yep. there's a lot of men <laughs> lot of men that come into feminism and they're like, right, I'm a feminist. Who can I lead? Who can I tell how right. to be feminist? Now that's not that's not my job to, to be involved in that. Like I I, I, I define as a feminist. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I strongly care about those issues because they're everyone's issues but I I can't come into female spaces and tell everybody how to behave and I do think there probably should be female spaces because the extent of the problem of men uh, not not individuals not not you guys necessarily (laughs) you you guys are you're the the good Um, ones but 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 like the the, the problem of men is Yeah. yeah it's it's you know it's 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 at the edges. It's pretty fucking hor- horrible. Yep. Like and and uh, you know, female only spaces make sense. If you've had oh, the worst yeah. experiences of men, you should have your own space to talk about that, and right. men shouldn't be allowed in it. Um, but that that's only a a, a, a room. Right, it's not the whole room. One it's not the big room. We all need to be together in the big room, right? Yeah. Uh, they, we, you know, that's that's how I feel about it. I kind of feel it's a little bit like any conflict situation. Um, mm-hmm. Once that you know the, the the oppressor is also needs to you know has to be involved in the co- in the conflict resolution. Right, right, you can't have peace talks without the enemy. Right, 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 right <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I've diagnosed myself and my fellow men as the enemy. Right? <laughs> And oh, if you know, only you were the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> this would all be over in six months' time. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, but I mean, you know, I, you know, I've had uh, thirty-two years. I haven't always been as, uh, you know, I've right. made mistakes. We've yeah. all made mistakes. Indeed. And, and I, but but then that's part of the weird thing about doing it is it's like trying to work out like how because I mean that's the other thing. I mean, yeah. we're all reinforcing those those gender roles, both genders. Right. You know, some of the worst. Uh, patriarchal behaviors I've had have been from women totally. telling me how to be a man being you know saying if you're like that you're you know you're not you're not a real man and all of that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, so it's 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 you know it's really and again I can't tell them off so right. easily yeah and yeah. the things that 
so much of it is what women do to each other too right. to reinforce what it means to be a woman it's like we are all fighting the same battle on both sides right. which is a different vocabulary a lot of the time and it, I mean the thing is it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a bubble as well right because we're right. in the arts and we're in yeah. the liberal lib, we've got I'm sure we've got liberal friendship groups right. we hang out with feminists yeah. so everyone's a feminist right and then right. you walk down the street and that is not the case <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely well, it's interesting, you know, even within a small bubble, it means so many different things to different people. It's, yeah. You know, for some people it's about equality, for some people it's about other stuff. Or, yeah, you know. well, exactly. Yeah. There, are definite, there, are definite, there are definitely feminisms that I really uh, object to. Right, <laughs> for sure. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the, when I was first starting working on my solo show, I did a really nice workshop with this uh, performance artist named Brian Lobel. He had a show at the Forest Fringe this year. Um, and he was talking about... The idea of solo performance as a place for just claiming your right to talk and your right to be looked at and listened to, and that that's one reason why a lot of people who thrive in that setting are people who are maybe a little bit marginalized right. culturally as voices, where you right. get you know a lot of the queer history or people from different socioeconomic strata who don't have the infrastructure of major theaters behind them, they're off in their rooms doing solo work, getting it done anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think there's so much potential for just people individually sharing their viewpoint in a way that engages an audience outside of a lot of those structures and barriers yeah I mean that, that's yeah. definitely why I've, why I've seen in the sort of spoken word scene generally right. like the idea of spoken word being poetry or storytelling it is those things yeah. but, but it's also about people standing up and saying I've got a story something that's happening to me and I want to share it with you and I I run a, one of the things I do is I run a, a true storytelling night, like a little mm -hmm. bit like The Moth or something like oh, that. Oh, cool, yeah. Um, in, uh, in London, I do the Hackney branch of Spark London. And there we have like just general people coming in from the streets, signing up, standing up on stage and telling mm -hmm. a story about their life. And it's just so amazing to see voices that you wouldn't normally see you know to hear of like a female van driver every every month uh, Lizanne she's called and she's really excellent she comes every month and tells another story about her life as a van driver awesome. right and it's like nobody's nobody's putting that on the telly nobody's putting that anywhere but she gets yeah. to come and stand up on our stage and tell the, the room full of people what her life is like sit down and the next person will be you know an artist you know it won't it will, there'll be those mm -hmm. kind of contrasts and she'll listen to their story and you know there won't be this hierarchy in that room that you get uh, yeah. just everywhere so it's, that's why I like doing those kind of nights but I mean it's definitely yeah. a thing I'm seeing in spoken word of, of yeah it's allowing voices uh, to get out there that couldn't get mm -hmm. out there because they wouldn't be produced unless they right. produce themselves, right? Yeah, it's like you give yourself permission to do it. We give each other permission, but it doesn't have to come down in this sort of hierarchical situation. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's exciting. Um, I'm just going to... Oh, yeah, see I'm you. checking my, my... I'm worried now that my time is not going on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's saying it's okay. I'm just going to check the time. Yeah, double check the it's time. It's very professional of me right. here. Um, yeah, keep us on track because I've got to go do two got, shows. Yeah, you've got to do two shows. That's right. You've got to run, you were like, I'll yeah. do it, but I've got to rush off and do exactly. some stuff. I know. Cause you, well, that's the thing. It's, this is a slightly different ex experience for me doing this um, to a time limit. Normally yeah. it's like, oh, well, it's an hour, but we can go to an hour and 20. It's okay, wherever the conversation ends. But now it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Make sure it's working. <laughs> you don't get um, to like, have a cup of tea and edit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right, right. Well, I'm, yeah, I go, I'm going straight from here to post mm -hmm. this, and then I'm going yeah. to go to, to do my show uh, this evening. <laughs> so, yeah, we're both, uh, we're both ready to run right. at the end. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I guess the, 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 let's do that question now. So the, yeah. the, 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 the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? And we've sort of been uh, right. covering quite a lot of that. But, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what do you have right. to plug? Well, 
tonight and tomorrow and the day after, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm at Underbelly Cowgate with Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind with the Neo Futurists. And that's our group show. It's a lot of fun. We do 30 different plays in 60 minutes. And we change out some of the plays every couple of days. And it's artists. This is the first time there are Neo Futurists in San Francisco and Chicago and New York. This is the first time all three companies have worked together. So it's an awful lot of fun. And it's um, the kids who do the Welcome to Night Vale podcast, Cecil Baldwin and Meg Bashweiner. They're both in the ensemble too. So I'll be doing that at 4.55 for the next three days. And then at 8.45, I'm doing Take Me Home, my solo odyssey. And then when I get back to San Francisco, I'm going to do the durational version of Take Me Home as a 12-hour live stream on my website. So wow. if you go to MeganCohen.com or follow me on Twitter at WayBetterThanTV, I'll keep you posted about that. Yeah, WayBetterThanTV yeah. is an yeah. excellent uh, Twitter <laughs> handle. I, I, I it's it hard to find you because I'm always thinking Megan and then right. it's, like, it's nothing to do with Megan. But it's a great, it's a great Twitter handle. Uh, Much better than mine, <laughs> which is GooseFat101. Who gives themselves that forever? <laughs> I like it. It's, it's delicious. It's, it's all right, but it's kind of a p- private joke that's now existed forever. Um, <laughs> and now you're stuck with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, um, and, uh, and it's, it's exciting to be at the, to, the Fringe. Is this your first time? Yeah, it's my first time at the Fringe. Wow, what a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we're quite yeah. near to the end of the Fringe now. And I mean, yeah. I think, I mean, we were talking before we started how, you know, we're, we're forgetting to eat now, we're tired right. all the time. Yeah. Um, it makes it sound like, you know, this isn't, we're not, we're not working in an oil rig right. at the end of the day. <laughs> No. You know, we're we're all right. We're, we're doing what we love yeah. to, to audiences, uh, sometimes large ones. Right. Yeah. And uh, you're doing all right, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All things considered, I think um, I've been feeling really lucky with the response here and really lucky to be here at all and to be here at all and have actual audiences for both shows every day. Ah, oh, Cloud9. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's wicked. Yeah. I mean, we've got an intimate audience today, though, so right. that's, that's still, still good. It's still yeah. valuable. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice kind of contrast, I feel like. It's like this is the smallest audience either of us maybe have had at the Fringe so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we've still got a couple of days, who yeah. knows? <laughs> but, but then at home there's loads and loads of people, so it's like the biggest and the smallest at the same time, which I kind of yeah. like. I like the idea of intimate and, uh, and, and it's kind of what the two kinds right. of media we were talking about before. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. So that's really exciting. And yeah, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Yeah, um, really I, fun. I've kind of got a thing to plug as well. My Do show's it. still here till the 24th of August. Uh, Stand Up Tragedy, 7.30 at the Banshee Labyrinth. It's also part of the Free Fringe, so it's free to get in, but we do like donations if you can afford them. Um, And it's a mixed bill show, uh, different performers every night, music, uh, storytelling, spoken word, comedy and some, whatever else we find to make <laughs> the five um, and yeah it's been really exciting because it's so I don't know what mixture they're going to make right I mix them together at the beginning and, and I don't know what they're going to do and I don't know what they're going to like if, if they're going to be nice contrasts or they're going to have a theme all the way through so I'm kind of finding the show with the audience so it's, it's been really exciting and it's been some really yeah, it's been really good. It's been a really good Edinburgh uh, for me. It's been a really shit year, so it's actually <laughs> like the opposite way round than I expected. I expected like, oh god, I'm going to be miserable in Edinburgh, but <laughs> the year will be all right. But no, it turns out other way around. Um, and so yeah, there's that, and and, uh, and I don't even have any more of, uh, of of getting better acquainted to promote. This is the the last of the five conversations I've done here. I really enjoyed doing them. I think I'll do them again next year if. if Free Fringe will have me back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm all excited. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
it's a kind of good example. It's, it's basically booking a room to do a conversation. Right. right? <laughs> don't, don't, we don't need an audience. It's like I, I wouldn't right. normally meet these people to, in London to, to, to talk to. So it's great yeah. to, to have that excuse. Um, and the last thing I ask my, my, my guests to do is to mm-hmm. say goodbye to the audience. Um, and today we've got two audiences, so right. uh, you can decide how to do that however you like. Okay. <laughs> First, this goes out to all the people at home or in their cars or in submarines or wherever you're listening. I know I listen to podcasts in bed. Maybe you do too. <laughs> and I want to say thank you for sticking it out to the end of my guest appearance. I'm getting better acquainted, and I would love to get better acquainted with you if you want to tweet me or Facebook me. Bye. And now I'm going to say goodbye to the people in the room. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. And now I'm going to say bye, Dave. Bye. Bye. See you soon.